we have to make sure that as a community, we are all thinking about what the why is, right? So we have to, it's all of our jobs to maintain peace and order and, and, and to, you know, ensure that laws are being obeyed and, and all those types of things, right? So, you know, the more that community and law enforcement can work together towards that, that common goal, the more we're going to be in a good spot. Because we do see that what happens is, you know, sometimes, you know, when things get pulled back, bad things start happening. And so that's where the community needs to really step up, right? And be able to also take accountability for the things that are going on within that community. So I think the future is, is this kind of mutual accountability between the community and the law and, and the, you know, the government agencies serving that community and whose you know, goal is to you know, protect and serve. Welcome trust builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is lead with trust where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders and your team your customers and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hey, trust builders. Welcome to this episode of Lead with Trust. My guest today is Len Hurstein, who is such an interesting person. He has worked in the business world at very high levels for many, many years, a couple couple decades. And he also is the CEO and founder of Brand Management Camp, which is such an interesting conference that is renowned in uh, the marketing world. And he volunteers and has for about a decade uh, to be a volunteer police officer. And so I, his juxtaposition of those two things is what has led him to create this new book, Be Vigilant. And he applies the things he's learned in law enforcement to us as business leaders. And I think it's so interesting. Of course, we also dove, dove in a little bit and talked about uh, law enforcement today. But I think the lessons for you listeners is to really take away some of the strategies he has for being vigilant and understanding why vigilance is so important. And I really think uh, trust is underpinning in all of this because uh, without this level of vigilance, like the way that he defines it, I think you don't tap into the collective wisdom. And then as a leader, you don't really know where you're going because you don't have all of the facts and the data needed to steer your business. And that leads you leaves you very vulnerable. So I hope you enjoy this. I sure enjoyed uh, doing the episode. So let's let's get to it. Well, welcome to Lead with Trust. And today we're so excited to have Len Hurstein here with us, the author of Be Vigilant. Now, I think we all need to be vigilant, especially in these days. And so now we have an expert on how to do that. So welcome to Lead with Trust, Len. Thank you, Sue. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I know that you have your new book out. So how's that going? It's been a whirlwind. I mean, it's been uh, something that I always thought I wanted to do. And then, uh, and then I did it and it's been, it's been a lot of work and now it's just super fun to have it out there and available on Amazon and everywhere people buy books. And uh, now it's just about promoting it and, and making sure uh, I get it as many people as possible aware of it. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. And, and I always love to know, like, what group were you a part of in high school and, and how did your, your parents kind of molds you into becoming the person that you are? <laughs> wow, we're going back a long ways now. Let's see. So in high school, I kind of straddled this line between kind of uh, nerd slash geek and athlete. 
I think. So I was, I was kind of playing in both those worlds. I, I, I played sports and, and played high school sports and then, but also, um, you know, was, uh, was a little bit of a geek too. So, um, I think that was sort of the beginning part of me learning how to play in a lot of different environments and, um, and adapt myself to kind of the, uh, people that I was with and, and what their needs were and what, you know, what they were looking for. So I, you know, I never really thought about it till later in life, but that was kind of like that led into, you know, my career, I think in terms of, um, you know, where I play and, and, you know, what I do in terms of marketing and what I do now in terms of, uh, law enforcement and what I've done in terms of, you know, building events for people. So, you know, that was kind of the origins of that for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and, and, uh, you know, what your expertise is. I think that will be very helpful to the listeners to understand why be vigilant is important now. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you, I'll give you the 30 plus years of my career in in, uh, a minute or less. How about that? Sounds great. (laughs) So, I mean, I started out in consulting, um, with Anderson consulting back then it's called Accenture now. Uh, and then I moved into consumer packaged goods brand marketing with Campbell Soup and Nabisco and Coca-Cola. Went to a lot of conferences and finally decided I wasn't able to find the conferences that I wanted to go to. So I started my own company called Manage Camp, where we produce marketing conferences and have been doing so for the last 19 years. Uh, back in 2015, I wanted to get into volunteerism and an opportunity came about and I became a reserve sheriff's deputy here in Douglas County, Colorado. And then that experience kind of opened up this whole new world to me where I started seeing things that I was learning that I was able to apply back to my business and personal lives. And the biggest thing was this idea that complacency kills. And I started thinking about how complacency kills businesses, it kills brands, it kills organizations and relationships. And then I wrote my book called Be Vigilant Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance and Safeguard Success, which takes the lessons that I learned from my experience in law enforcement and applies it to business and personal. I think that is such an interesting juxtaposition. I don't think you would have too many people that could connect the dots. And I think that's so interesting. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what is complacency and why is it so dangerous? I know we don't want to kill our businesses or our brands. We're working so hard to create them, but yeah. what is it that you've learned uh, that makes it so dangerous and what the heck is it? Well, so complacency in essence is an unawareness of potential or actual threats or dangers that is brought on by an overconfidence, by a self-satisfaction or a smugness that is bred out of success. So the irony of complacency is that the more success we enjoy, the more vulnerable we are to it. And so that's what makes it so dangerous because it it feels like it sneaks up on us. There are things that sneak up on us or come out of nowhere, but they haven't been, right? They've been lurking. They've been waiting for that right opportunity for for us to let our guard down, whether it be uh, competition or even, you know, vulnerabilities from within that are eating us from the inside out. And that's why complacency is so dangerous because it's so hidden and it's so undetectable unless you're paying attention. And so one of the things that people often make a mistake is then they, when they start hearing about this, they start thinking, well, the opposite of complacency seems like it has to be paranoia, has to be looking over our shoulders and being you know, crazy scared all the time. But, but here's the thing, the opposite of complacency is not paranoia, it's vigilance, right? And so the difference between the two is that paranoia is based in fear. It's the fear of potential threats where vigilance is based in awareness, it's the awareness of it. And so that's where we really want to play. So complacency is dangerous, but it's something that we, if we pay attention and we make ourselves constantly aware, we can fight and, and stave off. Do you have an example in a, in a business setting, entrepreneurial setting where, where people weren't vigilant or they, you know, this sort of happened so that people can understand more of the context of this? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's tons of examples. I mean, there's the there's the, you know, the most common examples of say like Netflix and Blockbuster, right? And Blockbuster um, having sort of an overconfidence that led to their downfall where, you know, Netflix was able to come in and, and take over. And there were, you know, people will point to all the things that Blockbuster should have known and it's easy to look in hindsight, right? But, 
you know, at the time they didn't see it, they were blinded to it. So th there's those examples of complacency or Sears or, you know, Kodak, um, those types of things. But, you know, even in, in very recent, you know, history, if we want to talk about what's going on right now, there's lots of examples of complacency from what's going on with, you know, COVID and the pandemic. And you know, there's a lot of discussion about that. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is how is it's a great example of how quickly we can get comfortable again, even in uncomfortable circumstances. So our, our default wants us to move to an area of being comfortable, which allows us to let our defenses down. Another great example is what's going on with what people would refer to right now as the great resignation, right? So people think that, you know, it's, it's talked about as if the great resignation is a COVID thing, but it's not a COVID thing. It is the COVID accelerated it and maybe brought it, brought it to bear and brought it to a head. But the reality is there are a lot of things that, have or, that organizations have done that have made them complacent about their employees, about the relationship that they have with their employees because of the power that employers had over employees made them successful enough where they felt like they could uh, rest and be comfortable. Circumstances changed, balance of power has changed, and now we have this great resignation, which again, is not a COVID thing. It's really a complacency thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of evolutionary things that happen with changing technologies uh, and then that changes norms. And I know with a lot of the larger companies, I think they get stuck in that they can't rethink themselves, even if it means their own death, because they can't turn away from the dollars that they are making now, particularly public entities, public companies. I think governments get stuck in this too. It's the way it's been. It's the way it's always been. It's how we make money. We have to show a certain profit level, whatever it is, they have their rules. And it's very hard to shift and change those rules very quickly. And they die, even though they know they may see it, but they don't do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that if, if, Part of why, you know, one of the things I talk about, which has a lot to do with leadership, I'm sure we'll talk about it, is this, is this idea that it's important to be able to articulate your why. It's something that we talk about a lot in law enforcement. Why We have to always be able to answer, why, did, why are we doing this? Why are we stopping this person? Why are we talking to this person? Why are we asking these certain questions? Why? We always have to be able to articulate our why. If your why in business is because this is the way we've always done it, or because we can, those are bad whys, right? Those are whys that will eventually, may work in the short term, but eventually will come back to bite you. Um, and so one of the things I talk about in the book is the importance of being able to get off the X. So we talk about this in law enforcement too. So if you imagine an X that you're standing on, like, like a cartoon character, you want to get off that X before the anvil falls on you, right? It's really easy to drop an anvil on someone standing on an X. And so getting off the X means that you have to become somewhat strategically unpredictable, right? And so one of the things that, that I talk about is the idea of, of self-disruption. And everything you're talking about right there is, you know, the, your, your, your default is not to disrupt yourself when you're being successful, right? You don't want to mess up. You've got your numbers that you have to hit. You've got your numbers year over year that you want to hit, right? And so you have to keep doing the same things is what you convince yourself of. Um, but the reality is you're going to get disrupted one way or another. It's just whether you take the lead and control it, or you let some, some external force do it to you. And that, that second option is never the best one. So let's talk about leadership and and if I'm a leader of a business in a going concern, and uh, you know I'm working to to develop my business and for the long term, because I know when I started my business that I just sold, when I first started the business in my head, I wanted it to last a hundred years. Wow! So uh, I started it right from the very beginning growing it, knowing that I wanted this business to last at least 100 years. So I was there for 35 years, and now I've handed it off to my next person 
who yeah. will be there for the next 35 years and then he will hand it off to the next person. So we sort of He's did on the that hook for at least 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I figure 30 years is a pretty good, or, or it yeah. might be more people, but to last at least a hundred years. So we did that by design. Yeah. And I think an awful lot of business leaders today don't trust themselves or their business that they're going to last, especially in the Silicon Valley dot com, you know, they, they figure they they're in there and they're out in two years or three years. You know, that's a, that's a lifetime. They sell it, you know, to someone else, which I guess is, you know, a great smart thing to do, but it, uh, it is a very different way of thinking about your business, very short-term versus long-term. How do you think that might play into vigilance? Well, I think what that relates back to is what is your purpose, right? So when I talk about being able to articulate your why, I talk about that importance at the organizational level and also at the individual level, right? So, you know, when you are an organization, the more that you can have a, you know, greater purpose that you're working towards that goes beyond just making money, right? Everybody can have that purpose of making money. But when we talk about what is your purpose in the world, what is your organization trying to accomplish. And if everybody understands that within the organization, then every decision you make can fall back into the context of what, what that purpose is. So a great example of that is say like a Patagonia, right? Who has a greater exam, a greater purpose of, you know, uh, you know, sustainability and protecting the world and, and resources and all that stuff. And so everything they do falls into that category. Now, if you start a business where your purpose is to sell it in three years to make a bunch of money, right? That's a purpose. That's fine. That's purpose, yeah. But it's going to impact all the decisions you make, right? And those decisions are not going to be the best for all of your constituents, right? They're going to be the best for you and maybe some of the other early investors, but they're not going to be the best for you know the grander view of the constituents of that organization. And so what that does, once people realize that, it becomes difficult to build trust, right? Because when people see that the purpose is to build that company up and sell it, they are never going to trust that you have their best interests in mind, yeah. right? So part I, of- I think you're what, exactly right too, because in my business, I sold Orgmetrics, my, our purpose was to change the culture of construction from being adversary- adversarial to being collaborative. Mm -hmm. And we created processes for that and continue to do that. So everyone that joined joins in the purpose. Yes. And that is the longevity of it because the, the mission isn't completed. Right. Yeah. And, and when people see that the actions you're taking are towards that greater purpose, sometimes at the detriment of short-term profits, sometimes at the detriment of, of other short-term goals, that is what builds trust, right? Yeah. When people understand that you are willing to make those decisions for that greater good, for that greater purpose, at the detriment of some of those other, what might be seen, might be deemed more selfish goals, that's what builds trust. But to me, there are, there's two other things that have to go along with that, which I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with. So there's the purpose and the, be, and the, and the being able to articulate the why, but then and these are all things that I've learned from the, you know, the history of law enforcement. And, and if there's any organization or, or industry that has learned a lot in terms of what it takes to build trust and to earn trust and what it means to lose trust, it's law enforcement, right? So right now uh, in this day, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, so you have that, that being able to articulate the why and the purpose that you just talked about, your internal purpose and what that was. Then you have to have two more things. You have to have accountability. So you have to make yourself publicly accountable for the things that are going to lead towards achieving that purpose. And then you have to have transparency. You have to let people behind the curtains, open up the doors and let people see how you're making progress towards those goals that you've held yourself accountable for. So if you have a greater purpose, if you make yourself publicly accountable, and then you make the journey towards that transparent you are putting in place all the things that lay the groundwork for be, for being trusted. Yes, that I would agree with you completely. That um, and it's a shared purpose. 
and you know, it's the shared purpose. I know a lot of times I will walk into a high conflict situation with multiple parties in conflict. And, you know, my first thing I have to do is find a shared purpose for mm-hmm. everyone involved because no one wants to be in the conflict. They want it to resolve, but they can't move forward because they're stuck in cross purposes. Yeah. And so you have to find the common purpose and then uh, be open and honest, create, we look for what's fair. The underpinning of trust in a relationship and in a business is for the people involved to understand and believe wholeheartedly that what will happen will be fair to everyone involved. Yeah. When fairness, it gets undermined, then trust gets eroded immediately. And it's hard to come back from that. Absolutely. And and what people might be wondering is, well, what does this have to, what what does complacency have to do with any of this? Right. And the reality is that they're very, very interlinked, right? Because the time you, you just talked about fairness, when you become successful, when you experience success in business or in life, it becomes easy to forget about the power you have, right? To forget about the power you wield within relationships. And then what happens is if you're not paying attention to that, you lose sight of fairness, right? And the fairness starts shifting, right? And you start making decisions because you can, right? So for a long time, why did cell phone, com- cell phone companies make us pay inordinate fees if we wanted to switch from one to the other, right? Was, were there inordinate costs involved in that? No, but why did they do it? Because they could, right? They had us under contract and they could. Well, eventually someone came along and said, you know what? That's silly. There's no reason for us to do that. And it went away and then everybody had to follow. And now everybody's chasing as opposed to leading, right? And so when you have that power that's brought on by success, you can become comfortable, you can become overconfident, and you can, without even realizing, start making choices that do not reflect fairness, right? And so that's where complacency comes in. Complacency then begins to undermine trust. Hi, this is Sue. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I'm so excited that my new book, The Trusted Leader, is about to launch. And if it's after February 1st, 2022, then it's already out there. And so I'm so excited because for years, I've been asked to help leaders to create a high trust environment. We have worked for 35 years to go in and help leaders uh, through intervening and facilitating the development of high trust teams and businesses. And now I'm teaching leaders how to do this for yourself. And trust is so important because it's really like having your foot on the gas of your business. And in so many businesses, people are working so hard, but their foot is on the brake as well. And so you expend a lot of time, energy, resources, and you just can't get where you should or could get. And so I hope you will go and get the book now and start your trusted leader journey. You can go to www.sudico.com dot com slash book and you can get the book there and you can pre-order the book there or you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble or anywhere that you get your books. But I hope you'll go and get it and start reading it. I can't wait to get your feedback and to be on a trusted leader journey with you. Let's get back to the show. I also think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs um particularly like in a cottage industry that may emerge over some issue. I'm sure in COVID, there's probably dozens of cottage industries that have emerged based on new needs that never existed before. And they don't realize when they start their business that everything, every business, every even if it's a little niche, uh, will become commoditized over time. And as it becomes commoditized, you have to shift. And that's probably where if you become complacent and don't understand that, you probably will cease to exist. Yeah. You know, one of the things I like to say is you don't find a lot of uh, bootstrapping startups working out of a garage, maxing out their credit cards that are complacent, right? Complacency comes later, right? When you have achieved some level of success and you start resting on on your laurels. Um, And the reality is 
that, you know, and this is what, you know, the book Be Vigilant is all about helping people become aware of complacency, but giving 10 specific strategies, vigilant strategies that they can use right away to help them identify it and fight complacency. And that's that's really what it comes down to is one thing to be aware of it, right? And and a lot of people use the word complacency, you know, like, let's not get complacent out there. Or, you know, they throw it around. It's a throwaway term and people are like, oh, okay, let's not, but nobody ever understands what does that mean? Like, how do I actually not be complacent other than saying I'm not going to be complacent? And so you have to take it to that next step. So, you, you know, you have to understand that it's out there and then you have to build in processes and build in things into your organization, into your life that allow you to remain aware, right? And that's what we do in law enforcement and that and that's what, what we do in the book. Well, share with us some of the strategies, please. We want to, we want to know now that we understand that we... We can, we are all probably likely complacent at times. It's, I just, we will always be that. And so what is the trigger that helps us see it? And then what are the strategies that help us to not become complacent? Yeah. So we've already talked about three strategies. So being able to articulate your why, if you always hold yourself to that, right? When people know within the organization that they're going to be asked why afterwards, it forces them to be more aware of what they're doing. Right. So if you're going to have to answer the why, then you have to be aware in the moment of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So that's number one. Number two, we talked about public accountability and holding yourself accountable. And that and that's at the lowest levels all the way up to the highest levels. And then this idea of transparency. Those are three things, you know, right off the bat. There are some other, you know, like I said, there are 10 things in the book, a couple of more that are easy to talk about right now. One is this idea of threat awareness. Okay. It's this is building in processes within your organization and within your life that allow you to remain 360 degree aware of where threats could be coming from. A lot of times what happens in business is we get what I call the roadrunner effect. We get so focused on one or two or three competitors and we feel like we know them so well that we lose sight of everything around us, right? So if you think about the Roadrunner cartoon, for those of us old enough to, to know it, you know, you've got Wiley Coyote who's focused 100% on the Roadrunner and gets destroyed every time, but it's never by the Roadrunner. It's always by something else that, that Wiley Coyote didn't see coming, right? And so we can get so focused that we, that we lose sight. It's something that we have to work on all the time in law enforcement, getting that, that being able to remain aware of what's around us. And so within organizations and within our own lives, we have to build in the processes. We have to have people who are specifically responsible for keeping an eye out for specific threats coming and understanding that threats can come from competitors. It could come, it could, they could be environmental threats. They could be governmental threats. They could be worldwide pandemic threats. They could be threats can come from a lot of place. So understanding and being able to keep an eye on those so that we can understand what we will do if those threats come to bear, right? Because the, the worst time to figure out what you're going to do in a crisis is when you're in the crisis. So what we do in law enforcement is a lot of scenario planning, is a lot of playing out what ifs. What if this happens? What are we going to do, right? So that, that's one thing is threat awareness. Uh, another one that's super easy to, to do is, is this idea of debriefing. So we do a lot of debriefing in law enforcement and military and, and all sorts of things. And what you'll find is in business and in life, you know, people mostly do debriefs when something goes wrong, right? And it becomes a fact-finding mission to place blame. Who messed up? And how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? But when we're successful, we don't spend a lot of time looking at what happened, right? But what I tell people is what you want to be is in Denver, where I live, you want to be a Peyton Manning. Anywhere else, you probably want to be a Tom Brady. But you want to be someone who, you know, when, even when you have success, at the end of those projects, at the end of those missions or whatever those defined pieces of work are, you want to sit down and you want to go through what happened, right? What went right? What went wrong? What went right, but went right by accident? You know, did we have a success, but it's only because everybody else failed worse than we did, right? And so there's a lot to be learned from, from everything, even in success. And so for me, vigilance is questioning everything, even when everything goes right. So those are those are two other things you can do right away. I re- really appreciate those. I know the um, uh, the the threat awareness uh, is is probably something that people may not understand exactly in their business how to really understand it. And what I've done in my business 
is this process where if you're in a niched market, then there are trade publications. Then uh, I think we get about 50 of them a month. There, There's just wow. lots of them. Yeah. And in a trade publication on the cover, and even what's going to be included in there as a feature, there's very limited real estate for that. Mm-hmm. And so what is percolated to the top, either as a trend or a threat, will be on the cover or as a feature in those trade publications. And then when I see them across all these different trade publications, I can identify the threats before they have really materialized. I can also see the trends and opportunities. So it's a pretty simple way for people to monitor it. You, you know, with what you probably already have in front of you, you already get emails, you already get trade publications that you can then see what's happening and not be surprised by it. Yeah. And that's the whole goal. That's the whole goal is to not be surprised. Right. Um, you know, what I ask people a lot is if you were in the solar panel industry, would you have seen Tesla as your biggest competitor before they came in? Right. Because that that's that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about are you focused on all the other solar panel companies that you're that you're fighting with as you go door to door and try and sell solar panels, or are you thinking about where this threat's going to come from that is going to change your entire industry, right? And I know I I was have been uh, in my book that I've been launching about trusted leadership. Uh, you know, you, your people are trusting you to figure this out. Mm-hmm. They're following you because they trust that you will be able to figure it out. And I think for leaders uh, right now, we have so many fundamental changes in technology, which will change business so dramatically in the next five to 10 years that we all have to be vigilant or because we don't know what they'll be right now, but we know they will be there. AI is ingrained in some things now, but it is emerging to where it will it will amplify everything. And I think as leaders, trusted leaders, we want to make sure that we're amplifying trust and not amplifying fear. And mm-hmm. I think as trusted leaders, we, we have to work so hard now to make sure that we're creating high trust cultures so that that's what gets amplified. And that's one of my biggest uh, concerns. I want to make sure we're all staying vigilant on that. And debriefing is, uh, yeah, I know the military do a fabulous job on that with every mission, making sure that they, but you know, I've, for years and years, I was told teams uh, you will become extraordinary when you build on your success, mm-hmm. not on your weakness. <laughs> and you have to understand your success in order to be able to do that, right? And understand yeah. the vulnerabilities within that success. And that's true for your business too. But that's mm-hmm. not, we don't do it in a vacuum. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's awesome. So I'm really, really interested to know more about your thoughts about law enforcement, because, you know, it's everywhere in the news now, and it is a big, like fundamental shift that is occurring and needs to occur. Uh, We were involved some years ago, uh, one of the nonprofits that I started many years ago is the Center for Community Dispute Settlement. And we did a bunch of work with the police departments that are local here where I live in Northern Mm -hmm. California on community policing. And it was very successful, but then it shifted away from that over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So, so tell me what you're seeing from your point of view. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I don't know if it's shifted away from that. I think there are, there's specific things that have taken place in specific areas that, that don't display that uh, in, 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 you know, the degree that you'd want it to, of course. Um, but I do, you know, believe from my experience, at least that there is an overwhelming desire on, you know, behalf of law enforcement to, you know, continue this community policing effect. Right. And it, and it, and it all boils down to, again, what is our, why, what is our purpose, right? Is our purpose to, you know, put people in jail or is our purpose to protect and serve and, you know, increase quality of life and build better relationships and all those things. And, you know, if you have the right purpose in mind, 
right? And you combine that with accountability and transparency. So we all wear, you know, it, it, you know, any law enforcement organization that's not wearing body cameras at this point in time is setting themselves up for failure, right? Because, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is we live in a world right now where there is no benefit of the doubt. You know, in order to have benefit of the doubt, you have to have trust. And if you don't have trust, you lose the benefit of the doubt. So if you don't inherently have trust, like a lot of law enforcement doesn't have with a lot of communities, and then something happens and you don't have transparency, then the narrative is going to be filled in with the worst possible answer, right? That's where people are going to default to because there's that lack of trust and that's natural. So, you know, that transparency is so key. So that's, I think that's a lot of what law enforcement is doing right now to help bridge that gap is, is building on that accountability, building on that transparency to, you know, not leave those information gaps that used to exist. This idea of like, we're trying, you know, they're trying to protect or hide or deceive, right? That, that the ability to do that and, and, you know, anybody who's doing that right now is obviously moving in the wrong direction. So this need to continue to build with accountability, continue to build with transparency and to continue to, you know, drive home to every, you know, officer working in any, in any area, what their purpose is, what their true why is so that they can articulate that in everything they do. That's what we're doing right now. I, I'm seeing a lot of that across the country. I'm lucky enough to, to work and live in a place where we have a very good relationship between community and, and law enforcement, but that doesn't exist everywhere. And so these things are super, super important. No, it almost reminds me of um, one of your stories of a business like Sears or someone who, you know, they were just happy. happy. You know, at one point, I remember when I was in, uh, I think it was in high in college, uh, that Sears was like two or three percent of the gross domestic product of the United States. I mean, it oh. was giant. And uh, so, so law enforcement kind of reminds me of that, like this giant thing that, even though it's a government entity, it still is this giant thing that didn't change with the times and maybe was created in a way that didn't serve all the people that they're supposed to be serving, you know? And so, you know, I, I think that uh, hopefully it can, it, it can shift and change uh, while still doing what it needs to do, because we are a government, a business, I mean, a government, a government, uh, a people of laws, it's a country of laws. And uh, you need to have someone who helps us to maintain the law. But I think there's a lot of rethinking that has to happen over over the next few years. Um, yeah, I would say that rethinking is across the board, to be honest with you, because I think, you know, part of accountability, right, is, is, hundred percent, I believe law enforcement has to hold itself accountable, right? I also think that that is a two-way street, that society has to hold itself accountable as well, right? So we have to make sure that as a community, we are all thinking about what the why is, right? So we have to, it's all of our jobs to maintain peace and order and, and, and to, you know, ensure that laws are being obeyed and, and all those types of things, right? So you know, the more that community and law enforcement can work together towards that that common goal, the more we're going to be in a good spot. Because we do see that what happens is, you know, sometimes, you know, when things get pulled back, bad things start happening. And so that's where the community needs to really step up, right? And be able to also take accountability for the things that are going on within that community. So I think the future is is this kind of mutual accountability between the community and the law and and the you know the government agencies serving that community and whose you know goal is to you know protect and serve. I think it'll be interesting too to watch the. Uh, I think what I've seen, and you know, I'm I'm just uh, very don't know anything about anything on this really other than what I see on, on television and hear from my friends who live in these communities. It, it will be interesting. That's why I brought up the idea of community policing that, that the, the police are part of the community. They are mm -hmm. of the community and the community feels that they're part of the community. I think that uh, then it will be a different paradigm for what it means to be a policeman or a police woman. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will emerge in a way that will be 
better for everyone involved and that we can have um, trusting relationships amongst the community and law enforcement. And maybe enforcement is less their focus and more, you know, the blending in with the, with the community and creating a community. It's interesting because I remember going to the very first time I went into France and this was almost no, no one was going there because there was a lot of um, bombings that were happening. And, but, you know, I'm crazy enough to go. Uh, but it was so interesting to walk along the streets and inside the doorways in the darkness where you couldn't really see them would be police with their automatic weapons Mm-hmm. Um, there. So, you know, I just think it's a, a way of life to some extent that law enforcement is needed for our society, but man, we have to really rethink uh, how it plays out so that it serves the communities that they are supposed to be um, yeah. protecting. I, I would encourage most, you know, most anybody out there. So what I did, so Seven years ago, when I when I got involved in this, it was not because I I want I had wanted to be a cop my whole life or you know anything like that. I was actually looking for a way that I can make a difference. And one of the things that I wanted to do is I was tired of of all these kind of Facebook arguments and people going back and forth with things. I wanted to be part of the solution, right? So the best way that I could see to be part of the solution was to get involved, right? So what I encourage people to do is not to get your information from the news because no matter what news you're watching. It doesn't matter whether it's CNN or Fox. Well, your news is going to be different than mine because the feed is all different for everyone. Well, they're, they're all biased. They're yeah, all biased. They all are. Yeah. They, they, you know, they all have, they all have an agenda. And yeah. so, you know, if you're going to watch the news, make sure you watch all of them and then, you know, watch BBC as well, because they're probably the only ones giving the unbiased view <laughs> to a certain extent. But I would say instead of, instead of watching from afar, if it's something that you're really passionate about, get involved. Find a way to become involved, whether, you know, from whatever to, to find a, a solution, to help work towards a solution, right? And so some of that is we have to understand that there's a lot of things going on in our communities that we need to fix. There's a lot of violence right now. I live in Colorado. There was just, you know, a shooting, uh, six, six kids were shot in a park right by school, you know, and we're getting shooting and stabbings every day, every day we're getting them, right? And so, yes, you know, the instances of police misconduct are inexcusable, right? But we have to remember that there's all this other stuff going on as well. And we have to be as passionate about fixing that as about fixing the other wrongs, right? And so it's not okay that kids are running around shooting each other. It's not okay that, you know, that there's, you know, brutal stabbings and murders every day within some of these communities that, you know, we have to figure out how do we help that as well right? That's got to be part of the solution. It can't just be, you know, focused on, on one or two things. We have to say, what is, if our goal is the safety and the thriving of our community, we have to understand all those things that are threats to those. One of those things might be, um, you know, law enforcement misconduct, but there are other things as well. And we have to be as dedicated to fixing them all. Well, I think that's good, good for us and our businesses as well. We need to, Make sure that we are understanding the lay of the land and what we're doing is is good for the people that we're trying to serve. Absolutely. Um, whether it's whether as a trusted leader, you know, our job is to create a high trust environment, and so that we can tap into that collective wisdom of everyone. And that's what I don't see happening in some communities is they're not don't really have the right atmosphere, the the right relationships yet to be able to tap into the collective wisdom to really know what to do and serve that community. And hopefully that can happen over the next few years. Well, and so, you know, bringing it back to kind of trusted leadership and, and the book, you know, one of the things that I also taught, so you talked about it, like there has to be that trust in kind of the leaders to be able to figure out where the threats are coming from. But I also believe that there has to be the pushing down of the trust, right? And so there has to be this, you know, uh, allowing you know, engagement through autonomy and through discretion and allowing the people at the grassroots, at the street level, the power to make decisions that impact, right? And to throw information upwards that they get as part of the intelligence that they have, 
right? That the leaders may not be aware of. Well, right? that's the collective so, wisdom and you don't get that yeah. until you have trust. <laughs> exactly. But that trust has yeah. to go both ways, right? So oh, absolutely. To, the trust is the norm. Yeah. The yes. trust needs to become the norm. Right. How we, That's the norms by which we operate. Open, honest, so. transparent, collaborative, fair. And we know yes. that. We trust in that. And then the, the communication flows and the information flows. And yes. yeah. And then when people are not that way, then... It, you know, it becomes more obvious that there's a problem. It's it's not a symptom of some other problem that's much bigger than that. It's just this person is acting this way because well, they have problems. Yeah, and a lot of times the people at the leadership level are not aware of all the things that are happening beneath, right? Because the they people, don't know. the people underneath, don't feel like they have the power or the ability to to pass that information upwards. So I I just. Uh, this just this week, we've dealt with something within my business in terms of, you know, the bank did something um, that kind of messed up one of our, our bank accounts and, and led to a problem with, with a vendor, right? And the vendor reached out to us and we reached out to the bank. Now, number one, we can't reach anybody at the bank because nobody's answering the phones anymore. And then, you know, you call the major, you know, the main number and you wait on hold for an hour. And then you'd say, well, let's just go visit a, the branch and they don't have any bankers working at the branch anymore. This is a major bank, right? I, so I hear you. Finally, I finally I get in touch with somebody who says, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is our mistake. We shouldn't have done this. And, you know, but the reality is, are they just going to fix it for me? Or are they going to let someone know above them that they have some sort of systemic problem that probably other people are having as well? Right. And if they don't feel like they have the power or they don't feel like they have the purpose to push that up, they won't. And so you have this kind of festering vulnerability at a lower level that someone at the higher level may never see until it's too late. Right. And it's until you start seeing the metrics in terms of why do we have people leaving? Why do we have people closing their accounts? Why do we have people doing all these things? Well, it seems like it came out of nowhere, but it didn't. Right. Exactly. I, I see it all the time. Have the same exact banking issue. I'm I closed my account, sold my stock, and moved to a different bank. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know that with the um the idea of trusted leadership is that the leader creates the uh, the norms of trust, and that's their job so that they can so that people will tell them the truth, even if especially if you don't want to hear it, if they tell you the truth. Yes. Their truth from their perspective. When I've worked with really large organizations that have, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 employees, I've worked with people long enough to see them go from like middle management to senior management to the CEO level. And I have been flabbergasted at how much they don't know as they move up. Mm -hmm. People don't tell them. And right. that is why trusted leadership is so essential and it's so dangerous not to have it because you yeah. will not know what's going on. People won't you, tell you. And when you don't know what's going on, you build overconfidence. You become overconfident, right? And that overconfidence becomes... You well, know, you don't see the threats because they're not telling you. You can't connect the dots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this has been such a delight. Uh, how do people get a hold of the book? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is available... It's, you know, on Prime for Amazon, you can get it from Barnes and Noble or Apple uh, Books or wherever you, you buy your books online, or you can just go to uh, BeVigilantBook, BeVigilantBook.com. And if you want to connect with me, you can go to LenHurstein.com or just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it when people reach out to me on LinkedIn and want to connect, um, you know, especially if they're not trying to sell me anything, they just want to collaborate and, and, and talk and, and all those, those good things. So, uh, LinkedIn is Len Hurstein, L-E-N-H-E-R-S-T-E-I-N or be vigilant book, or just go to Amazon. That's great. And what about your, your conference? Are you going to tell people about that in case they are interested? Yeah. So that's a whole nother discussion. So I've got a brand marketing conference. It's called brand manage camp. Uh, we've been doing it 19 years. Uh, we just had our 19th annual the last this year and last year we moved virtually um, because of obvious reasons. Uh, but we uh, we are hoping to get back to a live event in 2022. Right now we don't have our 2022 event planned as of yet because we are waiting to see how things pan out for the next couple of months. And and you know we really want to we really want to do a live event. So we're gonna we're gonna wait and see. But um, if you want more information on that, you can just go to brandmanagecamp.com. 
Perfect. Thank you so much, Len. I really appreciate you being a guest. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. And it was a great conversation. And, uh, you know, I hope, uh, hope people get something out of it. And then uh, I hope they reach out and connect and we can continue. I, I know they will. I, I know it's just a, it's a beginning of a good conversation and grab the book and I know I'm going to be more vigilant. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sue. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust and that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review, wherever you listen to your podcasts, would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now, today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudico.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. Once again, that is www.sudico.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.